I hope you're comfortable this morning. <laughs> Many thanks to Brian for his diligence in finding these more marvelous devices of comfort <laughs> and uh, taking care of the hassle of ordering them and arranging the shipping and then taking a whole day off work so we could unload them and get them up to the day for his help getting them up these steps God is good let us remember the words of Psalm 118 22 to 24 the same stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes on this day the Lord has acted we will rejoice and be glad in it probably good that it's a bit overcast today to help us remember the contrast of darkness and light. We're in the midst of the season of uh, Epiphany and <clears throat> follows the Feast of, of Epiphany which is always January the 6th. I believe it was on Monday this year. Um, so we didn't have that service but uh, if we had read the gospel reading that day, it would have been the passage from Isaiah 60, which says, Arise, shine, for the light has come. And uh, it's one of my favorites. But the whole entire season of Epiphany focuses upon <clears throat> the light being Christ coming into the world and growing brighter. And uh, that we as believers in one place Jesus told the disciples I am the light of the world in another place he said you are the light of the world so we have the light of Christ within us and we are to carry it to those that are living in darkness let's think about that this morning as we consider arise shine the the reading today was from chapter 8 Isaiah and it starts out talking about the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. I had never given that much thought, knowing that they were two of the tribes of Israel, two of the sons of Israel, and names of tribes that received the land when it was divided up. But I learned this week uh, that they were among the tribes that were soon dispersed and lost and became part of the when the when the nation was divided <clears throat> and that area that was uh, that was allotted to those tribes was never really fully uh, became inhabited by the Hebrew people it continued to be inhabited primarily by Gentiles by pagans uh, non-Jewish people and so it had this that that phrase, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, had a connotation to it. it. It raised the image in the minds of the hearers, even in Isaiah's day, even more so in, uh, when it was when Christ re, re, uh, quoted that passage from Isaiah in his day. The image of a dark, cursed, and hopeless people and culture. So, and even as today. Uh, if you study the scriptures closely that can be quite confusing because the names seem to change but they 
the, and names do change for the the uh, the identity of geographic locations tend to change is from one era to the next and uh, I just learned this week also that what we know of as New York was originally called New Amsterdam when it was founded by the Dutch uh, the original colony on the island of Manhattan was referred to by the name of New Amsterdam. So names change and even people's names in the Bible change depending on which, whether it's the Hebrew name or the Latin name or this name or that name. So don't let name the different spellings and the different names of places and people in the scriptures throw you off. It's not being inconsistent, it's just the way we are as people, even today. So it was primarily this area that was occupied by Gentiles who were not faithful people of the covenant. They were foreign people who served and worshipped idols and, and bowed down to foreign gods and spoke in a foreign language. <clears throat> I think we even lose the impact of that a little bit in our modern connected world today. <clears throat> I don't know that we're quite as aware of uh, the feelings of, of the past when people were much more tribal, national, and, and it was almost universal to fear with suspicion and fear outsiders and foreigners, uh, many times for good reason. Uh, the same thing still occurs today that we we can just naturally have a suspicion and fear of those people who are different than us that live in a different culture and speak a different language. Uh, but the prophet Isaiah was inspired by the Holy Spirit chose this particular location, Zebulun and Naphtali, with all of its connotations of foreignness and lostness and otherness uh, to highlight the coming of the Messiah and the effect it would have when he prophesied that the Messiah would arrive not only would the chosen people be set free and delivered from bondage of the ruling power over them but even the lost even the pagan even those people way over there in Zebulun and Naphtali would would see the light so it's a message of hope it's a message of promise it's the gospel, according to Isaiah, uh, that there's a light coming and that light would drive away the darkness, the true light of the world, as we sang about, light of the world. Many today are living lives that are mostly lived in great darkness. Some Christians even are living with such guilt about the past or even their current failure to live their life in the way they believe they should, that they're constantly fighting this cloud of darkness over them, I know. Um, many are carrying secrets, afraid that one day their secrets will be exposed and completely unaware of any way out of the darkness it, that it's so much that it just about consumes them and almost as if they're locked up in a prison cell this is a heavy oppressive cloud that consume one that can consume one completely or at least it always stays in the forefront of your outlook and your thoughts Isaiah chapter 8 verse 22 says 
and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So he's setting the stage, Isaiah is, of, of just how hopeless mankind is. And, but then he turns the page. Well, he goes on to say in verses 19 to 22, when people tell you, this is, this is a reading from the message, verses 19 to 22, when people tell you, try out the fortune tellers, consult the spiritualists, why not tap into the spirit world and get in touch with the dead? Tell them, no, we're going to study the scriptures. <coughs> People who try the other ways get nowhere, a dead end, frustrated and famished. They try one thing after another. When nothing works, when nothing works out, they get angry, cursing first this God and then that one, looking this way and that up, down, and sideways, and seeing nothing, a blank wall, an empty hole, they end up in the dark with nothing. Uh, that, that just seems like such an appropriate description of our culture today. And, uh, but it goes on to say, but there'll be no darkness for those who were, were in trouble. Earlier, he did bring the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali into disrepute, but the time is coming when he'll make the whole area glorious, the road along the sea, the country past the Jordan, international Galilee. And then it's like the prophet Isaiah is transported into the future, or at least his, his perspective is, he starts speaking from the time when the Messiah has arrived, and he says... Well, he's speaking inspired by the Spirit, but it reminds us of what true faith does. When we fully accept the promises of Scripture, when we place every bit of faith within us in the truth and life of Jesus Christ, we too can speak of the future as if, it's, as if it is already here. This doesn't happen as a result of, of an act of our will alone. So many times when I hear a sermon or read a book encouraging me to have greater faith, it just makes me feel inadequate. And I'm unsure of what to do in order to, to see my level of faith grow. A couple of months ago, I heard James Bryan Smith in his podcast, Things Above, tell about uh, or give the example of George Mueller. When George, once George Mueller was crossing, he lived in the 18, late 1800s. When he was crossing the Atlantic in August of 1877, the ship he was on ran into a thick fog. Mueller explained to the captain that he needed to be in Quebec by the following afternoon, but the captain said that he had to slow the ship down for safety and Mueller's appointment would have to be missed. Now Mueller was um, a preacher and an author, but he was mainly, he, he was a missionary and a, uh, he ran a, um, an orphanage. He, in fact, he built 
a huge orphanage starting with his home. I think he had 30-something girls, him and his wife, living in their home before they built their first uh, real orphanage building. <clears throat> but he's a man of deep faith and deep prayer. And he had this appointment, and at that time he had never missed an appointment, speaking engagement, ministry, time of ministry. And uh, so he asked the captain if he would go with him down into the ship to the chart room to pray for the fog to lift. And the captain followed him, agreed to do it, but claiming it would be a waste of time. So Mueller prayed a very simple prayer, and then the captain started to pray. But Mueller stopped him and said, "You don't need to pray. God's heard my prayer. That's enough. And besides, you don't you don't believe it anyway. You done said you don't believe it'll happen." And uh, he said, "Captain, I've known my Lord for more than fifty years." I've known my Lord for more than 50 years and there is not once that I have not failed to have an audience with the king. Get up, captain, for you will find that the fog has already lifted. They were still down in the ship. When they went back to the bridge, they found the fog was gone. The captain ordered the crew to return full speed ahead and Mueller was able to keep his appointment. And when we hear stories like that, it's easy for us to, to wonder, did that really happen? Is that how it happened? Or was it just coincidence? However, um, James Brown Smith used this example and what he had been taught by his mentor and friend, Dallas Willard, to explain that in Mueller's case, it wasn't hyperfaith, as it's sometimes called. But it was just an extension of the knowledge that he had of who God was based upon his experience and what he already knew about God. Meaning that faith is how I act based upon what I know to be true and I believe will be true. So it's, it's not just blind faith, so to speak, but it's... We, our faith is increased when we look back and recognize how many times and how many ways God has heard our prayers and has answered, even though not always with the answer that we would hope for. But just knowing His character and believing His Word, we're able to, uh, to believe God for even more. The more we come to know God, the deeper our relationship with God is and learning how he acts, the more we're able to take those, take those steps in faith. And this way we can grow our faith because faith is acting on what you believe and know to be true. And we know that the history and stories of George Mueller, that he lived an amazing life and he left many stories in his writings and others wrote about him of prayers being answered just in time. There was more than once when he and his several hundred orphans sat down for a meal and he would give thanks for food they didn't even have. And by the time he finished thanking the Lord, somebody would knock on the door and the food would be there.
once a once a dairy cart broke down in front of the orphanage so the dairyman came and knocked on the door just after he'd prayed a prayer like that and gave all the milk to the orphanage because it was gone spoil. Just things like that happen all the time. <clears throat> I believe just like God used George Mueller that he has a purpose and a calling for each one of us. He wants our life he wants us to live our life in such a way that His light will shine forth through us and bring glory to Him and help bring light into those that are living in great darkness. And, you know, this is not to put any individual up on a pedestal. If we examine the life of George Mueller critically, we might find some positions he advocated, some, some views he held that might we might not agree with that we might see as being questionable but that doesn't mean that just that just helps us see that God continues to use us in our imperfection that, that an answer to prayer is not necessarily the seal of that our entire and complete life and theology is in perfect order <clears throat> continuing on reading Eugene Peterson's translation of Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Again, this is Isaiah's prophetic view of what it will be like when the kingdom of God is fully around. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunburst of light. You repopulated the nation, you expanded its joy. Oh, they're so glad in your presence. Festival joy, it's like party time. The joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings, the abuse of oppressors and cruelty of tyrants, all their whips and curses is gone, done away with. A deliverance as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood, will be piled in a heap and burned, a fire that will burn for days. For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the ruling of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always. The zeal of God of the angel armies will do all this. Isaiah saw the time that is still to come when the kingdom of God will rule and reign over the whole earth. Take a quick look at the New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians. And uh, for the rest of the season of Epiphany, the New Testament readings comes from that book. It's such an encouraging letter to me because it portrays the real life of the Corinthians. It doesn't hide their brokenness and the, and the darkness that was in the lives of some of their of those people 
In fact, it seemed like in some way they were probably all messed up, just like we are. Uh, some of them were living their lives in great darkness. Some thought they were keeping everybody fooled, but the truth became known, as it almost always does. And what the passage today points out is that they were divided and they were egotistical. They were certain that they had it right, but Paul still loved them. And he still believed in the Jesus who had saved them. He opens the letter, and when we read those first few verses, we, <clears throat> we might want to think, well, he only means this for certain members of the church, you know, that didn't have these problems, but I think we're just kidding ourselves. He says, every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives of free and open access to God given by Jesus. There's no end to what has happened in you. It's beyond speech, beyond knowledge. The evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your lives. And I have to believe that he meant that for the entire congregation, the entire church. Take a good look, friends, at who you, who you were when you got called into this life. This, this really encourages me. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. The gospel reading today is the passage where Jesus croaks the reading from Isaiah. Then we're only given a one-sentence synopsis of his teaching at that time. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's a lot of things, but it is something that changes who you are on the inside. It's the rising of the bright sun after a long, cold, dark night that changes you in such a way that you can no longer live as you did before, that you must spread the good news and share the hope that is within you. There's a uh, comedian, a pair of comedians in Las, who were in Las Vegas. I don't think, I don't know if they're still uh, performing or not, but they're called Penn and Teller. And one of them, Penn Gillette, says he's a well-known, they're both well-known atheists, but he's written books about his atheism. He's a firm believer in his atheism. Firm atheist. Uh, but there's a story told, a true story of after a show one night, somehow a, a fervent Christian believer got backstage and walked up to him and introduced himself and started politely sharing with him the gospel and some of the crew members were were laughing and snickering saying just he's fixing to unload on him and but he made them stop laughing and said 
this man cared enough about me to share what he really believes. And, he, and he, he later wrote about that. He said, he said, I don't respect Christians who don't proselytize, or as we would say, evangelize. If you believe that there's a heaven or hell, that people could be going to hell or not get eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling them because this would make it socially awkward, and atheists think people shouldn't evangelize, just keep religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody not to evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Wow. Give us grace, O oh Lord, to eagerly answer the call of our Savior Jesus Christ to proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may recognize and understand and experience the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together and proclaim our common faith in the Nicene Creed. Mm -hmm.